Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you today. We're, uh, our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 18, and Jesus is the one speaking here in this passage. Hear now the living word of God. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Let us pray. Most loving and gracious God, bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, that all would be pleasing and acceptable in thy presence, O God, thou our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Many of you may know that uh, my family comes from southern Louisiana. I was born in Texas, outside of Dallas actually, but uh, most of my family for several generations have come from the southern Louisiana area. And so over the years, I've had different stories and cultural traditions passed on or explained to me by my parents. One such cultural practice is called lanyap, and it's a French word that means to give a little extra. My, as I was talking to my dad on the phone yesterday about all of this, just to make sure I had all my details right, uh, he said the, the most common place you'll experience lanyap is in a donut shop in southern Louisiana, usually a Cajun donut shop or, so, or a Cajun store. Cajun is it's French mixed in with other ethnicities over the years. And uh, basically you go into a donut shop and you order 12 donuts, but you're a regular customer. And because the store owner likes you and wants to thank you for your regular business and show you how much you're appreciated, he might throw in a 13th donut and say a little bit of lanyap for you. I can't do it. I'm sorry, the accents. <laughs> but you get the point. Okay. Well, so a few uh, months ago, I was sitting at Mary's Market. I just ordered my lunch. And uh, one of the servers who knows me well, she was coming by and I could see that she had something else with her on my plate that she was bringing to me and it was a cookie. And she said, you know, she, you know, she, she probably didn't know the word lanyap, but she was doing it without realizing it and said, you know, we just wanted to say thank you for your regular business. And this cookie, it was a big yellow cookie with a giant smiley face and I tell you what, it made my day. She knew me by name, she acknowledged me, she said how much she and the staff appreciated me. I mean, wouldn't you feel special too? I mean, it was great. And I think it was also even more special because this, this bit of grace, this, you know, this unearned item I was receiving, was being given to me in a place of business that often you have to pay. You know, it's our economy, it's how it works, nothing wrong with that. But it was just so, uh, 
so out of place, I felt like, but yet so appreciated and welcomed and special. As we turn to our scripture passage today, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep that they would have life. Certainly, Jesus' laying down of his life is not giving a little extra. It is giving everything. How profound that God would give up God's only son, that we would have life, that a new way of salvation would be opened. Truly, there's no way we can ever wrap our minds around this understanding of what God sacrificed for us. It is, is too great, too uh, incredible for us to imagine fully. Well, as we think about this passage, there's a lot of imagery in it, right? You have the shepherd, you have the hired hand, you have the wolf. And let us first start, if we could, with the hired hand and the shepherd, because the relationship between those two is integral to understanding the heart of this passage. Let us first look at the hired hand. The hired hand, as Osvaldo Vina from WorkingPreacher.com notes, is a metaphor that relates to the religious elite and the educated of Jesus' time, who were exploiting the people and using them to their own ends so that their glory would be, their personal glory would be magnified. And furthermore, that these religious elite, they, they didn't care about the people. Uh, in the same way that the good shepherd does. That, that's, that's the key difference here is that the hired hand, the hired hand is in it for the money. But the second that things get tough, he's going to run because he doesn't really care about the sheep. There's nothing wrong with getting paid. That's not the focus here. The focus is on the care and the fact that the good shepherd really cares about the sheep so much more than the hired hand. Well, and if we think about our society today, that anything in society you have to earn or work for. But what's so incredible and countercultural about what Jesus is describing in this passage, and indeed the entire gospel, is that it's freely given, that we didn't earn it, we didn't pay for it. It's just given to us out of God's love for us. How profound is that? But now let us think about the Good Shepherd. Because there's also a lot of really cool stuff here and special meaning uh, in this metaphor. So Jesus is the good shepherd, right? Well, shepherd, why does he describe himself as a shepherd? I mean, Jesus could style himself anything. He could be a king, he could be a general, he could be a god. But yet in this parable, he chooses to describe himself as a shepherd. Well, as, uh, let me just get this name right for you here. Here we go. Yes, Nancy Blanke, uh, in Feasting on the Word Commentary, notes, shepherds in Jesus' time were not respected. These, these were very low on kind of the social status order of things. And they had a very tough, dangerous, and menial existence. For Jesus to describe himself as a shepherd, and then to have the audacity, he's probably speaking to the religious elite here, um, in some kind of capacity, to then state that they, the religious elite, are the hired hand and they should seek to be more like the good shepherd, that would have bristled them up a good bit. But in this imagery of shepherd, it shows us how Jesus does not think of himself as echelons above us, but rather as one who is deeply connected to the sheepfold, who cares about them. So there is a degree of humility 
in the role that Jesus has chosen for himself in this parable. And then we get at the, the close and intimate bond that the shepherd has with the sheep. In Barbara Brown Taylor's sermon, The Voice of the Shepherd, she uh, notes that she consulted a friend as she was writing that sermon who actually grew up sheep herding and so could elucidate more the, the, the real relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. Well, the first thing Taylor's friend said is that the sheep are not as dumb as you think they are. And said that, you know, many people when they hear this very parable we're reading can, can be a little, you know, uh, biffed at the fact that the, the people of the church are related to be the sheep. And we often think of the sheep as very dumb animals who need someone to lead them everywhere they go in life. But that, that's really not the focus of this passage. So Taylor's friend goes on to say, no, the sheep, they're quite discerning and intelligent. Because the sheep will only follow someone that they know. Her friend goes on to say that it's the cattle ranchers who started the whole story that the sheep are stupid. Because the cattle ranchers, they're used to poking and prodding the cattle from behind and making loud sounds, and that moves the cattle. But if they do that with the sheep, the sheep run around behind them, and they think it's because they're stupid. But it's not. The sheep need a shepherd. The sheep must be led where cattle must be pushed. So let us give thanks today that Jesus never describes us as the dumb cattle. We are, the, we are the intelligent and discerning sheep. Now, a few people after 8 o'clock came up to me and they said, no, sheep are really stupid. You're, you're, you're wrong, Pastor. But <laughs> take it for what it is. At least it's all relative, right? So they're more intelligent than the cattle. Okay, so there you go. Well, what's really cool, though, is that the sheep, they actually know the shepherd. Joe Schmo cannot pick up a shepherd's crook and then be the shepherd instantly. The sheep, they, just as Jesus gets at in our passage, they, they know his, the sheep know his voice. The people of his time would have understood that metaphor because they, many of them would have known a shepherd or been a shepherd at some point. That the sheep, they literally know the kind of intonation of their shepherd's voice and the appearance of the shepherd. And only when they hear that voice will they follow. How cool is that? So friends, by extension, we know Jesus Christ. And he knows us. That's what's so profound in this passage, is that Jesus knows us individually. It says in verse 14, I know my own and they know me. Friends, Jesus lays down his life for the sheep, for us. Even 2,000 years ago, not having known us face to face, because through the power of God in a mysterious way, he knows us as individuals. Jesus does not lay down his life for some kind of generic service to the good. It is out of a deep and loving care, an intimate bond that he has with each of God's precious children. What a profound thought. Wrap your mind around the fact that what Jesus did was for you, was for the church, was for all people, that all would have life and have it abundantly. Truly something for us to celebrate in the richness of Eastertide. We may wonder, though, why, does, why is it necessary for the shepherd to lay down his life? Wouldn't it be better for the shepherd to have remained with us forever and in, in bodily form and not to have died and then been ascended to the throne? Why go through all of that? 
Well, friends, theologians have wrestled with this question, the the meaning of the crucifixion, if you will, for for generations. And many different uh, forms of meaning have been written about uh, exhaustively. And so my focus here is not to list all of those different ways we can understand the richness of the crucifixion. I think that's better suited to a classroom setting. I just want to focus on one, one that I really think is special and coalesces nicely with our passage And before I go into that, also just to note that there's mystery here. We don't know exactly what happened on the cross. We have our our human understandings of it, but there is a degree of profound and miraculous mystery to what Jesus did for us on the cross and his resurrection to follow. So, just a single one to lift up. Think about Jesus as a high priest who is interceding before us before the throne of God. In this understanding... Because Jesus died and ascended, this allowed Jesus to then be before the throne who knows us as individuals and to be able to lift up to God our cares and concerns. But likewise, because Jesus is in this intermediary role as high priest before God, now God sees us in the likeness of Christ. If you will, Jesus is a lens through which we are now seen. And because Jesus fulfilled the law and was without sin, we now are seen without sin. We now can have a special and a new relationship with God, even though we struggle with sin in this life and its consequences still. But we are seen by God differently in the spiritual realm because of Jesus' place before the throne. How profound. And because of this new relationship we can have with God on the other side of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, now we can receive the special gift of the Holy Spirit that is breathed on the church at the time of Pentecost, given to them. And indeed, as United Methodists, we believe that this Holy Spirit is given to every single person, regardless of whether someone professes Jesus Christ to be their Savior. Everybody has it extended to them. In the individual sense, the Spirit calls people to repent of their sins, to realize there's a problem there with sin. And then to seek out a loving and holistic relationship with God and God's church. In the communal sense, the Holy Spirit knits the church together. Jesus tells us in the Gospels that the church will endure forever. Friends, I believe that these last 2,000 years in the church's continuance is not due simply to hard work on humanity's part. But rather that there is something special in the church. That the Holy Spirit is alive and well. And my goodness, in my time here with you, I have seen the Spirit move powerfully in your midst. The Holy Spirit holds the church together and creates for us a vibrant and loving community. So friends, when the wolf comes, Jesus is indeed willing to lay down his life so that a new era can be born. That a, a divine community can be ushered in One that allows the sheepfold to expand, to go all over the world. Even, and this gets at the the verse 16 talking about the others, that the Gentiles may come in, that people of a diverse background, that all may be welcomed into an inclusive, a loving, a holistic, a safe, and above all else, loving community. How profound. Let us, as we hear this verse and think of the sheepfold, Give thanks for the church today, that which Jesus gave birth to through his life, ministry, death, and resurrection. I had the chance at Sermon Shapers this last Wednesday to ask them for a few examples of 
how the church was special to them. And, and just to, to connect this to what I'm about to share, you know, something special of being a part of the church is that, friends, we care for each other even though we're not blood relatives, right? We're a faith family. We're part of the sheepfold. We, even though we might not have a direct reason to care for someone or someone didn't give us something, we still, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we, out of a grateful response, go to care for one another. So I asked them, for what are some stories of how the church really lived into being this loving sheepfold? Sandra Chatpar shared a few good examples. These are just small vignettes. She said, oh, one is the Thursday morning, our master's book group. Uh, it's open to anyone. You don't have to go to our master's center every Sunday to go to it. And uh, they've really, over the years, she said, have become a loving family. Whenever someone is ill, the people go visit them in the hospital. Whenever someone uh, might temporarily or permanently lose their ability to drive, others help them with, with errands and driving them places. They write cards to each other. They share their cares and concerns and pray for each other. They truly have become their own kind of mini sheepfold within the Christ UMC body. Sandra also shared a story of uh, she some years ago learned suddenly that her husband desired to divorce her out of the blue. And uh, at the time, this was probably about 12 or 15 years ago, Pastor Doug Bowden was the pastor at our master's uh, before it merged with us. And uh, Pastor Doug Bowden, along with a woman named Janet Baker, they worked together on Sandra's behalf with her permission to call everybody in the church before that upcoming Sunday and tell them that Sandra had been divorced and not to badger her with questions and just to be supportive and tell her that they love her and they're going to care for her and support her. And so that when she showed up on Sunday, she would not be berated with questions over and over about her divorce or have to explain it to everybody. And she said it was the most special thing. She showed up and her loving faith family surrounded her and gave to her support in her time of great distress. I remember just a few of my almost five years here with you that I wanted to lift up. Uh, the first one I have permission from, permission from Linda Baker, Linda, excuse me, Linda Mosher to share this, um, about her husband Mike. Mike, as many of you may remember, had pancreatic cancer and later passed away from it some years ago. But uh, he struggled with it for about uh, almost two years. And when this news first came out, uh, Mike was uh, apt to share it with the Men's Holy Club that meets on Wednesday mornings. Now they're co-ed and open to anybody, but at the time they were uh, men-specific. And I tell you, friends, it was the most beautiful thing to see the men of the Holy Club surround Mike in support. We would pray for him. We would, at times when he was going through a particularly tough week or had a treatment coming up, we would lay hands on him and pray for him. And then after his passing, the men of the Holy Club, they came to Linda and remarked how much Mike had blessed them, how much God had moved through his life, and that all had felt like they had grown in their faith with Mike being a part of their sheepfold. How special. I dearly miss Mike and pray that he is at rest with God. But I also give thanks for how in that difficult chapter in his life, God used it to bless the men's holy club and to allow Mike also to bless them. How profound. I also remember senior high work camp. I had the chance a few years ago. I've gone every year, but one year I was able to stay the whole week. This was in Jackson, Michigan. And I would join a work team, and we were there every night in worship and eating and living together with our adult leaders in our senior high youth. 
Friends, what a powerful imagery of the church coming together as a faith family. It was just so cool to see the youth caring for each other, the bonds they were building, and how we were unified around this this joint purpose of serving God and serving others, others that we didn't even know, but felt called to help these people through a very difficult time in their lives through extensive home repair. Friends, these are just a few brief vignettes that speak to the vibrant community that I have witnessed in your midst alive and well here at Christ UMC. How we truly are a sheepfold that cares for one another just as Jesus Christ has cared for us. And just one more thing to leave you with here. That because Jesus has died and been resurrected, this allows for other shepherds to emerge. Sarah uh, Henrich in Feasting on the Word Commentary, notes that the adjective good that is used in this passage, when we look at the Greek, is very special. Normally, the word agatos in Greek is used for good. This is just, your, just like in English, good. It just Agatos means good. But instead, the adjective kalos is used. And this means ideal model or example. So it can be translated as good, but an even better, more accurate understanding of it that I think speaks more to what Jesus was trying to convey to his hearers is that Jesus is not only the good shepherd, but he is the model shepherd. Think about that. And Jesus says that three times in our passage. Whenever it's repeated, it's to hammer home an important point that, uh, that the writer or the speaker is trying to get across to the ancient audience. Friends, we are called to live our lives modeled after Jesus. And sometimes we can think that only the clergy are to be the shepherds. And indeed, we even see that if a bishop is coming into a worship service of high circumstance, pomp and circumstance, the bishop will have a shepherd's crook. The pastors typically do not carry that, only the shepherd, only the bishop, to show that he or she is shepherding the flock of the clergy. But friends, I tell you, and this goes back to our Protestant belief of the priesthood of all believers, we are all to be shepherds. For all of us are connected to different sheepfolds or communities in our world. That might be your your blood relatives. It might be your workplace. It might be a community group you're a part of. It may be a certain ministry that you're involved with here in the church. It might even be just the people sitting around you in the pews. But how can we each live into our calling to be a shepherd modeled after the good shepherd before us? And again, it connects back to the church. That just as Jesus going away and ascending could help the church expand, so too by Jesus dying and being raised and being before God as our high priest, it allows for the shepherds to expand, for all of us to live into that role, to grow into our faith, and to glorify God in all that we do. Friends, let us give thanks this day for the good shepherd, he who cares for us, who knows us by name, who has laid down his life that we would have life abundantly. Let us give thanks for how through the good shepherds dying and being raised that we have life, that the church is born, and that all of us have this opportunity to be a shepherd to those around us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.